Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution's five-game win streak came to an end, sadly, in Texas as the Revolution fell 2-1 to FC Dallas. Gustavo Bo scored to bring the away team level in the first half, but a brace from 18-year-old Pepe gave FC Dallas all three points, giving the Revolution their second loss on the season. I am Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Chris Lucas. Chris, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, thanks. You know, it's uh, never never a great night when uh, when the Revs you know, drop all points. But overall, I mean, you know, Texas has been a really difficult place for us to play, uh, specifically against Dallas. Uh, it's always been an Achilles heel for the team. And uh, going into it, I know, I, I believe Ben Musket mentioned this in the pregame spaces that they that they held, that this could be some sort of trap game. And I've been feeling that way too, leading up to the game. And it did, I think, prove that way. So yeah, you know, doing okay, considering, but um, yeah, looking forward to see what's going on. And also, I if I'm not mistaken, I heard it was uh, your birthday. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is my birthday. So happy, happy birthday and thanks for uh, joining the uh, the podcast and, you know, hosting this while, uh, you know, we close out your um, probably 25th year, right? You know. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I am 26 years old. Please tell everyone I am 26 years old. You know, Dewan Jones turned, uh, I think, 24 this week uh, and he celebrated his birthday with a team of the week appearance. Uh, and I celebrated my birthday with my wife letting me get an appetizer at Applebee's. So it was a really good week for both of us. Really, I would say, on equal levels in terms of celebration there. So, um, yeah, really really stoked overall. I have to know what appetizer you got now. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if you're going to Applebee's, you got to get the spinach and artichoke dip. Okay, okay, that's fair. Before we bore uh, our listeners anymore with this appetizer talk, and before I get criticized on Twitter about going to Applebee's, which I know will happen, why don't you give me your key takeaway from tonight? Yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, easy negative aspects that we could really look at from this game. But I want to start on a positive. I always like to be positive. Uh, I'm going to go with Gustavo Bo, and he's been playing so good lately. Uh, It's really encouraging to see him return to this form that, you know, he basically came to the Revs and uh, the spark just all of a sudden happened, you know, mid-season of 2019, I think it was. And uh, he just was lighting it up, putting the ball in the back of the net over and over again with, you know, typically highlight reel style goals. Tonight, he got, got himself another goal, not a highlight reel goal, but it was a solid strike. It's a goal that you expect him to make, uh, in, given the position that he was in. And he has really earned and, you know, he's shown that he's solidified that starting spot. You know, there's been a lot of debate, you know, between Gustavo Bo or Adam Buxa, who's going to be playing up top who who gets the weekend week out starts and it, all of the the starts have been going to Gustavo Bo and I think that he's really proven why he's been getting them and he's been uh, he's been cashing it in you know and again I'm a big Buxa fan of course but don't forget I'm a huge Bo fan as well I have a fish named Gustavo so I'm a big Bo fan and I'm so happy to see him uh bagging goals and uh becoming now the team leader in goals yeah, and one thing about the Bo Buxa debate that I see is it seems like you have to choose one or the other. They're both designated players. I think they're both mm-hmm. good players. I think they both bring different things. And right now, Gustavo Bo is, I mean, he's just on fire. Five straight games with a goal. 
uh, from Gustavo. Uh, let me pull up his stats here right now. He did have five shots today. That was the most on the season. Uh, he had three shots in his last game prior to the, so prior to the Red Bulls game. He had seven shots. Or, sorry, sorry. He had nine shots total uh, leading up to that New York Red Bulls game, and now he has eight over the past two games. So he seems to be getting a little more comfortable. He had some long-range shots early. Uh, he seems to be getting more chances in the box, um, and he's been efficient. As you said, coming into this game, he had four goals off of 12 shots, which is a pretty good pace for Gustavo Bo. He's making some really, really good runs into the box. You know, they wanted to push him up and get him closer uh, to goal this season, and you know, he seems to be doing better with his runs. He seems to be having a little bit better awareness and playing that role of, of being the uh, target forward there. So, yeah, another great performance by Gustavo Bo tonight. Really, really well overall. As I said, five shots. He had a 7.4 uh, football mob rating. He had a 76% uh, pass accuracy. Um, only two for seven on duels, but as again, it's, he's a striker, so you don't really, you're not too worried about that overall. So, yeah, Gustavo Bo moving up further and further uh, above Adam Buxa in the uh, uh, lone striker race, I would say, for the New England Revolution. It was interesting to see Buxa come on and really Kizza come on, and they moved Bo you know, a little bit further away from goal and kind of in the midfield. I think that was kind of an adjustment because Dallas started to pinch back and kind of park the bus a little bit, and they realized they had to start crossing the ball in and whipping in crosses, uh, and you want Adam Buxa and to an extent, Edward Kizza there, although Kizza I don't think has really proven his worth that much as a uh, bench player. But regardless, um, they, they wanted their heading specialists, I'll call them, uh, deep in the box, and Bo kind of moved into a midfield role. So, um, yeah, overall, though, pretty good game from Gustavo Bo. One of the lone bright spots, I would say, from the Revolution tonight. Uh, I'm going to move on to my back line, kind of moving away from a bright spot and into a pretty bad spot, uh, which was the back line. It seems like they are kind of falling apart a little bit. Three consecutive games with multiple goals conceded, and that's really bad when Matt Turner uh, is your goalkeeper. Uh, John Bell, who, former guest of this podcast, you know, obviously a big fan of him, obviously a big fan of the meme, uh, but John Bell did not have a good night, really responsible for that second goal where he just flat out gets beat uh, and leaves Dewan Jones over there to die. Um, Andrew Farrell, his 250th career MLS appearance, I didn't think he had a pretty spectacular night either. And even the outside backs, they did well, but not a... Not a great performance from either. I, I can't really say anything positive about the back line that much. And I think a lot of that has to do with they rely on athleticism to make up for their... Their, their defensive skills are, are lacking a little bit, but they make up for it with their athleticism. Uh, Dewan Jones and Brandon By, especially, and to an extent, John Bell. Um, there are times when there are some long balls over the top uh, or some through balls that, you know, there's just a lot of speed on that back line. It seemed like tonight they were just a little bit behind. So I don't know if that is tied to the fact that this is their third game in nine ga games and that they had to travel across the country to play this game and that they had to play in the Texas heat. Um, and, and they're just up against a younger, faster team in Dallas, but they seemed a little a step behind all the way around. There was space everywhere tonight. Um, there was a lot of big gaps that Dallas was able to exploit both those goals. Um, you know, the back line was just seemed really, really uneven with people. You know, you're wondering exactly where the defenders are. John Bell playing that left center back role gets beaten over on the right sideline. Um, just a lot of spaces that were left uncovered and, and Dallas was taking advantage of it all night. Yeah, I, I agree and disagree with you. The one point that I, I disagree is I think Farrell had a, a better game than people are maybe giving him credit for. And maybe then it might've looked at like, because to me, it seems like he was playing as a single center back almost the entire game. John Bell has had some 
pretty impressive performances so far this season. Tonight uh, absolutely was not one of them. And uh, he seemed to be just getting caught out of position over and over and over again. And Andrew Farrell was kind of the lone defender, lone central defender, at least, that was back to defend. Uh, There was that one play in the 45th minute where Dallas got by uh, John Bell and Andrew Farrell was tracking back. And Charlie Davis called him out on the on the uh, broadcast saying, why is Andrew Farrell not closing down the the attacker here. And, you know, there was someone also trailing to the, to the far post who was marked, but maybe Andrew Farrell didn't realize that he was marked and he was trying to, you know, make sure there was no easy tap in and at least give Matt Turner the chance to make the save. But a play like that, you can't really harp on Andrew Farrell too much because that was a hundred percent John Bell's person. And he just let him, let him by. And John Bell was trailing behind the plate about 10 yards. And it, it was a quick turnover, um, and a, a quick transition play, and I understand how that happens. But you know, this is uh, tier one uh, football in America, and you need to be ready for plays like that to to happen. And you know, the the game's going to change on a dime. So I think uh, Andrew Farrell gets a little bit uh, of a harsh uh, criticism from from tonight's performance, but uh, overall, the back line was still nowhere near good enough. No, no, and, and again. Three games with multiple goals conceded. It's a bit concerning. We are one week away from that secondary transfer window opening, and I mentioned on Wednesday's podcast that I'd like to see that center-back pairing uh, improved a little bit. I think that is my one area of need that I think needs some adjusting uh, because obviously you have Andrew Farrell in the right center-back spot, and they have rotated between John Bell and Henry Kessler, but it seems like something is not working there, and I'm not sure what the fix is, but I think another center-back is not a bad uh, decision for the you know put it putting that on the shopping list uh for the summer uh we did get some twitter questions here about the back line paul gerard says some rotation is expected with a congested fixture list but having to use a substitute on a center back while trailing was a costly lineup mistake how does the center back pairing go forward does arena have anyone trustworthy to spell Farrell at right center back uh so I, I mean he's asking specifically about maybe doing a bell kessler center back pairing um which i i think at this point you should try at some point, I think you need to try that just to see how it works, and maybe those two click a little bit better. But I think they want to keep John Bell on the left side and Henry Kessler on the left. I mean, he, he's tip- typically played in the left side. I don't know if they want to move him to the right and have two guys who are pretty young kind of control that back line there. But, uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on um, what do you see the center back pairing being forward, and does anyone replace Farrell? I think if anyone's going to replace Farrell, it's going to be De La Garza. Because I think Bruce values that experience, and I I do too, quite frankly. In a position like that, you need to have some experience on that back line. You need to make sure that whoever is, you know, of course, your, your keeper's going to be commanding the back line, but you're going to need one stalwart defender at least that's going to understand where the how the back line is moving and where they need to position themselves, how to move the line uh, to create an offside trap, or how to make sure that you're not getting beat over the top. And... I think Henry Kessler is going to be that player, that uh, that veteran captain, if you want to call it that. You know, he's not going to take the armband from Carlos, of course. But you know, as far as defenders go, I think Henry Kessler's on the path to becoming a captain of sorts among defenders. But I don't think he's at that point yet. And uh, I like seeing Andrew Farrell out there just for the fact that he is able to really back up the rest of the back line if they need it. 
and uh, he's out there controlling how they're playing. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say don't try it because obviously something needs to happen, but I'm looking back to last year, and Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler as a duo performed very well together. I don't... I, the last few weeks, I've been sitting here saying I 100% think that you know you're, you need to get this rotation in Henry Kessler might be gone with the national team make sure you're giving John Bell these minutes and I think that I was just trying to really think glass completely full you know instead of like a glass half full situation thinking that John Bell is not going to end up making mistakes like he made tonight um, he's still a young player and he's still a very new professional and he's going to be making mistakes like this and that's something that we have to expect to some degree and um yeah it his inexperience it just really showed tonight i think that going forward the the top two defenders need to be andrew farrell and henry kessler if andrew farrell needs needs to take a, a game off for rest uh, i'd say throw de la garza out there yeah, that's an interesting case. We have not seen a lot of and uh, sorry, a lot of AJ De La Garza this season. We saw him a few times at the beginning of the season, but we really have not seen him that much. And I guess he's the backup outside back, and really they are just riding Dewan Jones and Brandon By into the ground. We haven't seen a whole lot of rotation uh, from those two spots this season. So it'll yeah, I'm interested to see if they move De La Garza as kind of a replacement for Farrell. Um, over the next few games, if Farrell needs a rest or if they decide to rotate that spot. We did get a question from Cleggy on Discord who says, After, given the poor performance by Bell tonight, is it safe to assume that Kessler gets the start against the crew? And, and you know, one thing about, I want to step back on John Bell too, is you're right, he's a young player. This was really his first really poor performance. You know, I, I don't think he's been really poor all season. So I still think he's, we're going to see minutes from John Bell. Um, but I think the, the problem that John Bell has and the argument that John Bell should be starting is that you have Henry Kessler, who was very good last season. I think Henry Kessler was the best player along that back line last season. And for some reason, he's the only player that is being rotated in and out with John Bell. And not just rotated in and out, but it seems like John Bell has more or less taken his spot. John Bell has put a, together a long string of games here. Uh, and we've seen Henry Kessler come in. and get, I think we got a spot start here or there. He comes in off the bench. But Bell is eating up most of the minutes there. So... Um, I agree with you that I, I, I agree with this question here too, that I think Henry Kessler should get the start in Chicago, uh, not in Chicago, in Columbus. And mm -hmm. we should see if Henry Kessler can reclaim that 2020 magic. But I, I don't want to write off John Bell uh, as a wasted player or a waste of a roster spot. Cause I still think he's quality enough to be in the 18 and get some minutes here and there and develop as a center back. But overall do, you know, he hasn't shown me what Henry Kessler showed us last year. So I'd be for moving Kessler back in the lineup. I, I'm also for it. You know, if you look at all the center backs on the roster, uh, it, Henry Kessler is the best 1v1 defender, in my opinion. He's the best. Um, I wouldn't say he's the best maybe with aerial duels. I think John Bell really excels in that position. That's one of his, you know, biggest strengths is it, it, just his aerial uh, competitiveness. But Henry Kessler is probably the best defender that we have, but he, he's... You know, it's still a bit of a raw talent, too. Uh, the one other thing I want to talk about is Maciel. Uh, Chris, did you have any thoughts about Maciel? He came back into the starting lineup tonight. I didn't think he had a great performance off at halftime for Tommy McNamara, who seems to be, I mean, I think Tommy McNamara has played pretty well. I think Tommy McNamara has earned himself the right as the central midfielder coming off the bench when you need him. Um, and I think, 
I assume Wilfred Captoum is going to be the starter if he returns. We we did get an update from Bruce this week that uh, I, I asked about Captoum and what his timeline is, and he says that Captoum is expected to be back into full training next week. Uh, so maybe not the Columbus game, but we should be seeing Captoum back on the field at some point in the near future. Um, with that being said, Maciel, I feel like, you know, he's kind of worn out his welcome. I don't think he had a great performance tonight. Uh, McNamara has been playing decently, but I still not fully trustworthy that he's uh, trusting of him to, to be the starter. Uh, Chris, what would you think of Maciel tonight? Yeah, I, Maciel had an okay performance, I think. Um, it's, it's a bit worrying to see that he hasn't necessarily grown with the team as the season has progressed, because that's something that you're going to think of, too, as the season evolves and as as players get more and more comfortable, one, with each other as a team, and two, just uh, fit level, um, it, the the level of play is just going to get more and more difficult. And as the, the stakes for each game get higher and higher, um, every single little, mo- every moment of every game is going to start counting more and more. Um, I think Masiel really capitalized on uh, showing what his talents are and putting in good performances in the beginning of the season. But as the season has progressed so far, and uh, the times that we've seen him, it's been a bit less and less each time, and tonight was no exception to that. Yeah, Massiel, to his credit, he did have a 91% pass accuracy. Uh, he did have 20 accurate passes and on 24 touches, uh, but most of that is in the opposition. Oh, no, most of it is in the opposition pass. Sorry, he had 15 of his 20 accurate passes in the opposition half. So he did have some good moments, but 15 of 20 passes in the opposition half, you expect to, him to make more of an impact. I really didn't see a whole lot from Massiel tonight. Um, overall, and you know, Bruce agreed. Bruce took him off at halftime. Uh, Polster had the yellow card again this game, uh, and he still took off Maciel instead of Polster. So, um, yeah, I, I think Maciel's stock is dropping. I think Maciel and McNamara are competing for that third central midfielder uh, spot. And I think, I assume, if we get a fully fit Wolford Captoum, Captoum and Polster is going to be the central midfield pairing, like it was supposed to be at the beginning of the season. But who knows what uh, w- what Captoum's status is. Well, and then we have Caicedo possibly coming back as well, too. And who knows where he's going to fit into that if if he can, re, you know, regain that 2019 uh, form that he had. Yeah, Caicedo also expected to be on the field at uh, the beginning of next month. So uh, expect to hear more and more about Luis Caicedo in August as he returns from his injury. We didn't get a timeline on uh, Christian Mafla. Uh, unfortunately, we did ask. Bruce did not answer that part of the question. It was a two-part question, so it might have gotten lost, but um, hopefully we get a, an update on Christian Mafla's potential return. Uh, I don't think there was anything else we really wanted to talk about before we got into Twitter questions. The only other thing I wanted to mention was the Edward Kizza sub made no sense to me. I think Bruce wanted to just throw in their headers, uh, uh, you know, as, as I kind of mentioned, but I thought this was a bit of a poor sub. We took out Matt Polster. Um, it just seemed like that allowed Dallas to kind of carry the ball out and kind of kill a little bit more time before Dallas was completely packed in. We were swinging in crosses and we were outnumbered in the box, but um, putting on Kizza seemed to, you know, give them a bit more of a numbers advantage on countering. Um, Chris, Edward Kizza, I'm, I'm, I don't want to give up on him, but I don't think he really has a role in this team right now. And I would have rather have seen uh, Boateng or someone else. What are your thoughts on Edward Kizza? And uh, do you think he should have a role in the 18 right now? You, you kind of read my mind a little bit because when that sub was coming on, I was thinking shortly beforehand, this would be a perfect situation to bring on a player like a Boateng who we still haven't seen. I don't think he's gotten any minutes with the first team yet. I, mean, I could be wrong. Maybe there's some in the beginning of the season, but uh, this seemed like the perfect opportunity to get a player like Boateng in there where he's got such incredible pace. Uh, and you know that 
he's an experienced MLS player. He knows how to finish. He knows how to, you know, he knows how to pass and, and create chances. And instead you brought in just another attacker, which kind of seemed to really crowd the box a bit. And I'm not sure it really worked into the revolution's advantage. Uh, as far as Kiza himself, I mean, I, he seems to, to be like more of a project piece than um, a plug and play type piece. But it's hard to really say because every time we see him, it's only really for 10 minutes at a time. And it's really hard to judge a player just by coming in for the final 10 minutes without allowing them to grow into the game or anything like that. So I don't have a whole judgment on Kiza, but uh, right now, from my perspective, uh, he's more of a project piece for uh, a future, either future development and sale or, you know, possible future starter. I think that's a really good way to put it. I think you put it a lot better than how I could put it, where I, I don't think putting Kiza in in these 10-minute spots is a really good idea. I, I don't think he makes a whole lot of impact. And it seemed like they were having Buxa and Kiza kind of drop into the midfield, kind of control the ball, hold the ball up, and they were both kind of failing at it today. Um, not a really good performance from Buxa either. I don't want to give Bu- take no. Buxa off the hook here a little bit, but uh, you know, a lot of people were making a big deal of how good he was off the bench. He really did not do a whole lot today. He had some pretty poor touches at some time. So, um, and Kiza, I think kind of doubled that problem. So I would have rather have seen uh, maybe Boateng down the wing, or if you needed to replace Polster because he was getting tired, maybe put in Scott Caldwell, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of control the ball and get the ball to more dangerous crossers in the middle of the field. But um, I I think Scott Caldwell, someone called him the, I think it was Paul Gerard called him the human victory cigar, where he comes into games to close out, uh, you know, games five, five or six minutes left in the game when the revs have a lead. So maybe because they were down, they decided to keep Scott Caldwell on the bench, but Either way, I didn't like the Kiza sub. I think that's my one real complaint about, besides the lack of rotation and the heavy legs uh, today and just overall not seeming up for this game, uh, I didn't think the Kiza sub was a whole lot, and I think it kind of took a little bit out of the revs in this game. So we're going to head over to some listener questions right now, and we're, we're having a little bit of a shorter show, by the way, because we have an interview coming up after listener questions. But before we get to listener questions, we want to talk about our new sponsor, Galaco Kits. Galaco has a large, neat collection of vintage jerseys with something for every fan. Whether you're a casual fan or a collector, Galaco Kits has something for you. With jerseys of clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world, there is something for everyone. And this week, they have a 2020 New England Revolution away kit that would be perfect for one of our lucky listeners out there. I know you hate the new away kits. You hate them. Be honest. They suck. So relive the old one and go on over to GlockoKits.com to check out that jersey and their wide collection to make sure and and make sure you use discount code RevsRecap for 15% off your order. That is GlockoKits.com with discount code RevsRecap. Their website and the discount code will be in the show notes. So make sure if you need any spelling, go check that out there. Uh, and our interview at the end of this episode, we actually talked to John and Matteo of Galaco Kits. They talked about starting their company. Even if you aren't a kit collector or even if you're not necessarily interested in buying a kit, uh, I recommend you listen to that because they have some really fascinating stories about starting their business uh, and some stories about uh, some jerseys that they have sold and where they have ended up and some re- really rare items. So it's a really cool interview. Uh, when we were talking about the sponsorship with them, we wanted to have this interview because we think they have some pretty amazing stories. So please check that out afterwards. But for now, we'll get to listener questions. Quite Revs asks us on Discord, what do we need to be a championship caliber team? We're clearly not good enough at the moment. New players or tactics? Oh my gosh. Uh, I I personally can't stand questions that are phrased that way. I mean, I understand where the question is coming from. It's 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 a good a good perspective, I think, to to be thinking ahead that far. But it's you, you can't just make one change per se and say that this is going to be the championship caliber team. What it is, this team needs to just be clicking on all cylinders. Whomever's playing doesn't really make a difference. I mean, it does, but 
with the team that we have, we should be competing for uh, MLS Cup. And as long as all the players can, or a good majority of the players can be in some sort of form and have better rhythm together, then it's going to be an extremely difficult uh, team to stop. Boy, were, were you doing your Bruce Arena impression? Because I think someone asked him about uh, first place in the standings, and he said, you know, it's 11, we're 11 games into the season. Who cares about first place, last place? Every game's important. We're not even looking at that. You know, we're not thinking about the, the MLS Cup right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think overall, though, the, the question here of we're not good enough at the moment to be, I'll say, the top team in the league. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of tweaks they need to do necessarily. I think they need a center back. I think mm-hmm. they need to, I don't want to say rest players more, but I think there are just going to be some games where if you're running out certain players, game in and game out, if you're playing Matt Polster every single game, if you're playing Dewan Jones and Brandon By and Andrew Farrell every single game, some of those guys rely on athleticism and their motor. And I think you're just going to get them on a bad night where they're you got some tired legs. So we have a full week. I think this next game against Columbus a week from now is going to be a better representative representation of this team than we saw tonight against Dallas. Because, I mean, the Revs should be better than Dallas. I think the Revs are better than Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I want to see how they play against Columbus, who, by the way, have had some offensive struggles this season. Um, coming into this weekend, they were last in the league in, in expected goals, but still... MLS Cup champs, they're opening a new stadium. They're going to come to play. They have very talented players. I think this is a much, that is a much bigger, bigger measuring stick uh, to where this team is and, and where they belong in the Eastern, in the Eastern Conference. So um, in terms of what needs to change, as I say, a center back, if Captain doesn't come back, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that central midfield spot with Polster. That might be an area I'd want to strengthen. Overall, I mean, this is a pretty good team with a lot of depth, and I don't think we're getting the best out of them just yet. Uh, looking a little more short-term, TSB11 says Bruce tends to stick with what's working until it doesn't. Uh, what didn't work tonight, and what do you expect Bruce to do to change it? Or sorry, what do you expect Bruce to change to fix it? Um, yeah, you know, Bruce does, you know, run with the hot hand, and it maybe it's to a fault where he, it goes on for a bit too long. To his credit, he saw some things going on tonight, and he made changes to fix that. I feel like the Bell substitution was maybe a bit too late. Uh, he felt shaky to me throughout most of the game and, you know, including the first half. So at halftime, I was thinking substitutions, maybe for Maciel and maybe for Bell. He did make the substitution for Maciel, which I thought was a good one. McNamara came on and, and he really did change the pace of the game, especially the first like two, three minutes of the second half. It was uh, a very impressive run out from the revolution. But uh, as far as going forward, I, I don't know where he's going to go. You know, only Bruce Arena can answer that question. And I don't mean to be more Bruce Arena with my answers here. But, um, you know, don't ask me these questions. Ask Bruce Arena because nobody can really read his mind. Well, well, let's I mean, this kind of question kind of ties into it. Mike Kennedy asks us, what changes do you make for the starting 11 for Columbus? And I'll kind of kick this one off because I, I think this yeah. kind of plays in with TSB in terms of, you know, the hot hand has cooled off. So what changes are we looking at going forward? So let, let's talk about the Columbus game. I think we're going to see Tommy Mack for Maciel. I think we're going to see Henry Kessler for John Bell. I think those two changes are definitely going to be made. I am 70% confident we will see Teal Bunbury uh, again in, in for Tristison. But I could see Tristison out there. I think Bruce wants to give Tristison minutes and see him play out because I, I I think they have a lot of confidence in him and he's a pretty new signing. And so I think that that still might be in the has not hit his full potential, has not gelled with the team just yet. And I think we're at the point where those excuses need to fade out. But I think Bruce still has a lot of trust in Tristison. So um, I I think that might be the third sub we see. But I I think that right now we're going to see Tommy Mack 
and Henry Kessler next game for Columbus. Definitely, I would not be shocked if there was one more sub like De La, De La Garza in for Brandon By or Andrew Farrell or Dewan Jones or something like that, just to give someone a rest. And I, I think, too, another thing tactically I think we're going to see is it seemed like the Revs were caught out of position a lot defensively tonight. I could see them maybe not press as high uh, against Columbus. I could see them kind of sitting back and playing a little more defensively, a little bit more for one one point. I, I think they were coming into this game against a Dallas team that hadn't won in five or six games and were trying to be aggressive and just kind of got burnt a little bit too much. So I could see them after a game like tonight where they got burnt a lot uh, and had a lot of spaces exposed behind them uh I, I could see them playing a little bit more defensively yeah i i, I don't know about tactically i i couldn't tell you where they're going to go with that especially with a team like columbus where you know they they can attack and uh they can put the ball in the back of the net but they are struggling this year maybe it's a time where you actually lean into your attack and try to try to really get in the front foot especially on the road you know it's going to be a difficult situation playing in columbus for that match um, I, as far as the changes, uh, I was going to name the exact same three that you named. I think that Bunbury over Tristison is going to happen, whether or not it should, um, is a different question, but I think that that will happen. And, um, yeah, McNamara, uh, for Masio, uh, Kessler in for, uh, John Bell. And I don't think anyone else is going to be rotated. There's no midweek game this week. And yeah, I, I, I think that's that's what it's going to be. You got to you got to roll with what is potentially your strongest lineup, and I think that is currently with the strongest lineup right now. Agree, one hundred percent. David Sabillion says third game in, in nine nights can't win them all, uh, and I think that's a, a another thing too. We got to put into perspective here that there are going to be some off nights from this team, and I think flying halfway across the country. I I, I know that's not a great excuse. Matt Polster didn't want to use this, that as an excuse when someone asked him about it after the game, but uh, I, I do think this is just one of those nights and. I'm not putting a ton of stock into this. Uh, just, you know, a trap game that really, really did not work out well for the revolution. Uh, Randy LH says, do we have an identity? We're not a possession team. We're not a counterattacking team. We're not a high press team. What exactly would we say we do here? Obviously, we're good at a lot of things, but it seems like we're suffering from a lack of overall strategy. Um, I think our identity is give the ball to Carlos Heel and have him do a lot. And when he has an off night, you're not going to win. And not even that Carlos Hill had an off night. He played pretty well tonight. He had 94 touches. He was 10 for 13 on duels. He had an 8.0 foot bob rating. Um, there was a play where he kind of laid the ball off where I thought he probably could have just taken the shot himself. So I wonder if he's just kind of always looking to pass. Uh, but he had some really, really good moments in the 51st minute. He had a really nice cross from the midfield to uh, Gustavo Bo, who headed it and it, he headed it wide. Um, you know, that was a pretty beautiful ball over the whole defense that if Bo is able to get that one on frame, um, you know, that's a completely different game. The Revs take the lead there. So um, I think Carlos Hill still had a great, maybe not a great game, but a really, really good game. Uh, we, he just was not a complete game changer tonight. Uh, and that kind of holds them back. Um, so I think that's our identity. And, and you know, everything else is kind of secondary to Carlos Hill. It's just a matter of, uh, is Carlos Hill going to be able to nail that killer ball? I think I'll, I'll maybe contradict that point slightly and just say that the team does not have an identity. I think going to Carlos Hill, I think that's more of a given. That's a tactic. That's something that's going to happen. That's going to be involved in whatever the identity is. But I think what we've seen so far in the first 11 matches is a team trying to find their identity and along the way, racking up a lot of points and being in a very fortunate position so that when they do find their identity, it's really going to unlock and uh, this team can really make a deep run in MLS cup playoffs. 
We did get another question from Paul Girard. He says, do you think this team is at its best when all three designated players start and there is only one defensive midfielder? Um, obviously, Bruce is a little reason to tinker this far, and he sent along the um, he sent along a graphic of a starting eleven from last year, where Bowen Buxa played up top. Heel was in the central midfield. They had Bunbury on the left, Buchanan on the right, and Scott Caldwell as the only defensive midfielder. Um, I'm not sure about this one, just because I, I think that leaves a lot of space in the defensive midfield. And right now, in, in my mind, you don't want to take away reinforcements for that back line. I think right now the back line is something you got to be a little bit more concerned about than getting Buxa on the field and forcing him on there. Um, I, I think they're working just fine on the 4-2-3-1. Now, with that being said, I, I think you could make an argument that, you know, having all three designated players work and you put Bo on the left side, which I would argue I, I still think that, you know, you played with Heel and Bo as roaming players last year and Buxa um, as a striker. So, you know, it worked in the playoffs, it seemed like. So I, I think you could argue that the three designated players will work, um, but I, I wouldn't do it for the sake of taking off a Maciel or a Tommy McNamara and potentially leaving the, uh, you know, giving up some possession in midfield and, and uh, leaving one less reinforcement for the back line when someone gets caught out of position. You know, again, I'm going to have to go <laughs> on the contrary to you. Um, I really like this formation. It's a 4-1-2-1-2. Uh, I like the two strikers up top with Heelan behind, uh, and you're allowing your wingers out, out wide to join the attack. You're not asking as much necessarily of your wingbacks or your fullbacks, whatever you want to call them, which I think is also been an issue as far as defensively because Dewan Jones and Brennan By, while they have all the speed in the world, they're finding themselves upfield a lot of the time, especially in transition, and they're going to have to track back, and that puts a lot more pressure on those center backs. Um, in the formation like the 4-1-2-1-2, like what we saw during the playoffs last year, it, there's a little bit less pressure on the fullbacks to be pushing up, um, and it, it's it's my favorite formation, I think, in all of football. So it's something I would like to see. However, I'm not going to say let's start all three designated players just for the sake of saying that all three designated players are starting. But I think that they're, they, if as a designated player, you should be starting. There should not be a designated player, super sub role. So I got to say, I don't understand. There are some people that are really annoyed with the fact that Adam books is coming off the bench or they're there. There are only two designated players are starting. If you're in first place, who cares? I don't. I, I mean, I don't know if I ranted about this offline or if it was on the podcast the other night. But I'm really at a state of like, you know, if we're winning games, fine. You know, we're we're in first. What's it matter? I mean, it hasn't been an issue so far. If you're winning games and Adam Books is coming off the bench or Gustavo Bo is coming off the bench or whatever, you know, fine. You're you you have Tejon Buchanan who, you know, is as good as a designated player. If you have a designated player on a reserve contract, that's great. You know what? What's it matter? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I I think I think people get caught up in the terms. End of the day, maybe it doesn't matter. But when you're talking about building your club, you know, if your designated player is a super sub, that is taking up, you know, potential capital is taking up a roster spot, a designated player roster spot from possibly going to someplace else. Because if you're you only have three positions in your roster, three slots on your entire roster for these designated players, for these big money, you know, game changing players. Um, And you can argue that a super sub is going, you know, that's the purpose of a super sub is to be game changing. But I don't see Buxa as a 
game-changing super sub. I like him as a starter, personally. I think he grows into the game, and he can really wear down defenders. But coming in, coming on in the 60th minute is not his strong suit, and it's not playing to his game, you know, especially when they're playing catch-up. Uh, he's not, not really thriving in that type of role, and it's shown when you look at the numbers too. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not a fan of just making your designated player always be a super sub. It's fine once in a while. You got to rest players. I get it. And I don't expect them to a designated player to get 90 minutes every single match. But that's that's my argument on it. And I, I don't know how I would think differently. If if your designated player is not getting 90 minutes, you need to move on from that designated player. And you need to reinvest uh, in somewhere else within your roster where it's going to make a change. Wait, maybe we can get a designated player center back. Uh, instead of having a super sub and maybe that would be a much better use of resources than a super sub i don't know well i'm yeah. kind of ranting now I-, I was gonna say if sean was here he would say uh using a designated player spot on a center back itself is a bad use of resources yes but yeah I- i'll agree with that your your point overall is great but as i say i mean if the revs go on and win mls cup and adam buxa doesn't make it an mls cup you know, you, you didn't misallocate your resources because you won. So they're yeah. winning. It isn't an issue yet. I understand why people want to, you know, in theory, have three MLS MVP caliber designated players. But that's not really the case. And Books, again, you know, is a very low paid designated player. He's basically a TAM player on salary. Um, the reason he's a designated player is because of his, his transfer fee. And I think people hold him up to a, a higher standard than, you know, what his salary justifies. So, geez, Chris, you're disagreeing with me a lot. You know, it's my birthday, right? Why aren't you? Why are you being so mean to me tonight? My twenty sixth birthday. Jeez, man. Look, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to get some uh, some more listens and get the numbers up on the pod just for your birthday. So, <laughs> arguments arguments lead to um, uh, higher ratings. I'm sure right. you, you can't yeah. you can't you can't say we always agree. Uh, one more question here from <laughs> Eric. Do you think Dallas did a better job of pressuring us than in pre- than previous teams have? Our passing and connections felt terrible. Could it be the heat, the schedule, Dallas's strategy? All three. Also, is the shine off the uh, off the rose of Bell? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Anything to add? Nah, you covered it. Yes. I mean, that, that was just, yeah, yes to everything. I think we've covered a lot of that already, but yeah. Dallas did do a really, really good job of hitting us in, in between those spaces. And I think, you know, just a young athletic team, you know, we had to go into their spot. You know, just a really bad matchup, and it's kind of weird to say it's a really bad matchup for a team that had won one game previously, uh, but Dallas had a really, really good game tonight, um, and they just knew where to exploit the Revs. Um, so, yeah, hats off to them, I think, overall. But let's see them come into our place and do it when we have a full week of rest. You know, also, I want to give a quick shout-out to Ricardo Pepe because he had a hell of a game, and those finishes that he made, even though he was pretty much alone uh, on, on net against Matt Turner, uh, he still made, like real quality finishes uh hitting the the bottom corner on the first one and then making was it dewan jones look pretty silly uh and making matt turner kind of stumble all over the place on his second one so you know credit to the 18 year old for for doing that and you know he had john bell in his pocket all game so uh yeah good credit to him really really good game and a really good coming out party for uh peppy so um, with that being said, we are going to now transfer over to our interview with the founders of Galaco Kits. We will be back after the interview. 
We're here today with the new sponsor of Revolution Recap, Galasho Kits. Joining us today are the founders of Galasho Kits, Matteo Trevisani and John Hickey. First of all, guys, how are you doing? And could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background um, on how you started this company? Hey, guys, uh, thank you so much for having us. This is John speaking right now. It's a pleasure being here. Well, Matteo and I, we've uh, actually been friends since middle school. We're both from, from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And uh, Mateo actually ended up moving to Mexico sometime around middle school. You know, at that time, we didn't have social media. We didn't have cell phones. So we completely lost touch. And um, he went from Mexico to University of Tampa, from University of Tampa to South Florida. And I went from Brazil to University of Miami. And then we ended up working together for, with for Lauderdale Strikers. And that's how we, we reconnected years later uh, without having spoken a word since middle school. So... We ended up being neighbors in Miami. Imagine that. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and, you know, Brazil is known as being such a soccer hotbed and such a big soccer country. What, what got you into collecting, you know, kits specifically? Um, and what kind of started your passion for, for collecting soccer kits? Yeah, I'll take that one. So, guys, this is Mateo here. Uh, first of all, I wanted to thank you guys so much for, for having us here. It's uh, a big pleasure to, to, to be talking to you guys alongside. You know, you guys have been, have been grinding um, soccer content here in the U.S. For, for over a decade. So that's, you know, hats off to that. And it's, it's really not easy to, to keep it going, you know. So so wanted to start off with that. Super, super, um, you know, excited for, for what's to come. Uh, we've already, we've already seen... Uh, some results and some excitement from your from your listeners uh from the the little tease that we've done so we're we're super happy super excited and look uh we've i'll start myself i've always kind of coincidentally coincidentally or not collected soccer kits my entire life it's just been something that my dad i think gave me gave me a couple and then my uncle would give me every single year i'm a palmeira fan um from from brazil he would give me a, the newest kit every single year. You know how it is, kind of. Um, we're from Brazil. We're a big family. Everybody kind of brainwashes you. You know, you're a Palmetto fan or you're a Palmetto fan. <laughs> There's no option. It's a big kind of Italian-type family, like, you know, some something similar to, to, to the Italian families here, and you're forced into it, right? So I've always loved, loved soccer jerseys. I've always loved soccer. There's a picture of me with a Palmetto jersey when the day I was born, literally. So things like that, I think, have always kind of, uh, we've always gotten into it, and I've always had a, my own private collection. I think at the height of it, got to 300 shirts out of all types of teams, uh, national teams. I would ask friends, acquaintances, family members to bring the jerseys from from all over the world for, for my collection. And uh, one day, out of nowhere, I was speaking to someone, and he showed me, you know, his this beautiful Juventus jersey that he had. And I pulled out this other um, long sleeve, like 1985 or something, Juventus kit that I had for my collection that someone brought for my father when they went to Italy. And I started having kind of a sense of, of guilt of having that in my closet, you know? Why do I have something so beautiful, so gorgeous in my closet? Uh, I think someone else can, can appreciate this, you know, but proper Juventus fan, you know, why not? And that's kind of where things started clicking for me and things started clicking for the store. And 
that's where we we got rolling kind of uh, at least on, on on my side that's where i finally gave in and 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 went in head and first into this project yeah, you guys have so many beautiful kits up there on the site right now. Um, and you talked about your own personal collection. Do you have a, a personal favorite kit? I mean, there's so many unique ones out there today. Yeah, there's one that came in this week, actually. And as soon as we, we took it out of the box, me and, me and Mattel looked at it and we were like, this is our new favorite. And it was a 1998 Croatia World Cup home jersey. Just absolutely mind-blowing, incredible jersey. I think that at least for me, that's my favorite. I don't know if Mateo has a, a different opinion. I mean, guys, it's been unreal. I think the amount of different and crazy unique items that we've had in the store throughout the year. So since we go to Brazil a lot, we know we look for collect, uh, collectors and, and whatnot and to connect with people to, to see if we can, you know, purchase kits, sometimes more successful than, than others. But we we found in, in Porto Alegre, in the south of Brazil, a shirt from 1985. It was a Honduras national mm-hmm. team shirt. And this is actually a really cool story. I've never, ever told this story to anyone else. We couldn't find any information about this shirt, you know, not even the year or anything. So I texted, I don't know if you guys are familiar with who Mr. Chip is. Mr. Chip is a, is a super famous, look, look him up on Twitter, you know, like five, 10 million followers, millions and millions of followers. But he's very big with, I think, Spanish-speaking audiences, especially. And I texted him, hey, man, do you know anything about this jersey? He immediately put it on Twitter. And people went crazy saying, no, it was this, it was that, it was this, it was that. So we ended up settling on, it was a uh, kind of week-long tournament organized by Coca-Cola in 1985 in Porto Alegre and it was I think John helped me here Gremio Hamburg from Germany Honduras national team and another team that Coca-Cola sponsored at the time and we had this shirt and we had no idea you know what to do with it how another thing that we can get into later is how to price things guys like how do you price something like this you know it was laying in a in a in a in a like a a soccer soccer store in in Brazil. They didn't know what to do with it. You know, the last thing they were going to do was going to throw it away. But here, you know, we have so many Hondurans, so many immigrants in the U.S. The value of it is amazing. So for me, that's one of the most unique items that we've had in the store, and it's been crazy the amount of like there there are things in there that we considered not selling. For example, a Kansas City Wizards rainbow kit. We really consider not selling that one because it could be the last time we ever see one. So things like that are, are, are really, we've been astonished to, to see come through our doors. And we can't wait to, to, for what's to come. There, for example, there's a Rowdy's 1980-something training 79. shirt. Yeah, 79 training shirt. Just so many unique things like that. And the fun thing about this, Greg and Sean, is that one door opens another, you know? You talk to someone who knows someone who knows someone, and that's how things really, you know, start moving. And that's how we've been able to grow so much in, in this year, year and year and not even a year and a half. Well, that is a great question that you bring up. How how do you price these? Because you know, I know we see some of these some other places selling shirts for a, a lot more expensive prices than than you have, Matt. So how do you decide how to price these things when you know, like you said, at you know, ninety six Wizards kits or Kansas City Wiz back then, um, you know. You might never see it again. It's something that's easy to easy to criticize 
and it makes us a target every day on every product. John is, you know, usually who, who, who leads this. It's a mixture of eBay, classic football shirts, previous sales that we can find online. Yeah, we basically like. scout the internet and see what's around and uh, see for how much that jersey has been previously been sold for. And then, uh, you know, we take that in consideration along with how much did it cost us, you know, what's a good margin. And uh, we try to come to, you know, the best price point possible for, for both sides, for us and and for our customers. But it, but some are really tough. Like, we have a 1992 Sporting style jersey from Peru, which is impossible to find on the internet. It's a, something that's probably never been sold before, you know. So, you know, what do, what do we use as reference? It's uh, it's it's really tough, and we try to do our best. You know, we're we're trying to make money, but we also don't want to, you know, we, we want to give our our customers the best price, and we want people to come back. And so it's tough. It's something we struggle with every day. You know, it's like a constant tug of war between: uh, Are you leaving something on the table? Are you are you getting too too ambitious, or too, you know, asking for for a lot of money? So. At the end of the day, guys, for us, really, really, like, honestly, it's that the person who's receiving a package at home is happy uh, and that that person is able to feel the nostalgia or the memory that they have when they get their jerseys. Because I have 300 soccer jerseys. I can tell you for every single one of them, without fault, where I got them, who gave it to me, and I remember a story about that shirt or that person who gave it to me. So... It's something very powerful that, at the end of the day, that's what matters, you know? So we've, we've, we've uh, <laughs> several times, just to have a, a client be, be happy, lost, you know, hundreds of dollars. Because, you know, it's not, that's not it. That, that's not it for us, right? Um, yeah, that's not why we're And obviously, it. it's a company, it's a business, it's growing. But at the end of the day, all we want to do is help grow the, the soccer culture and the soccer community and tell stories from our countries in Latin America and and not let you know sto- stories like the old NASL or either NASLs really die and things like that you know or even the early stage of MLS it's so beautiful you know you guys know this more than anything as one of the founding members there's so much good stuff to talk about that and it's not being an old guy thinking of this but you have to respect, you know, who who came before and who paved the way. So that's it for us. I'm sorry that I went on a huge tangent there. No, it's fine. And when you guys were talking about the Kansas City Wizards uh, jersey, I was thinking, boy, in a few years when the revolution rebrand, uh, you're going to have all this crayon flag merchandise that is going to be in very, very high demand, I'm sure, because that's another thing that potentially might be being faded out of MLS. And it's one of the last few things that connects or is still active from uh, MLS 1.0. So it, it is very interesting to hear those stories about those kits that you had trouble identifying, not not just, you know, pricing, but uh, hearing about items that you uh, uh, need to identify and all that. And, you know, you, you've talked about a lot of your current merchandise and where you found kits. Um, I counted on your website that you have merchandise from over 80 countries in the world from clubs or national teams. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, what is the most random item you have ever sold 
uh, or currently have in your catalog. I know your website mentions you have uh, some merchandise from the Guatemalan second division. Um, is there anything <laughs> like that that comes to mind where you, you got something and you were like, boy, we're really off the beaten path here? Yeah, I think one that comes straight uh, to my mind was uh, Mateo's uh, Municipal Limeño from El Salvador. Yes. So that was yeah. like, you know, it's not a, a tiny, tiny team, but it's it's not one of the big ones from El Salvador. And for me, what made it like the most random was that that actually sold to a guy in the UK who really collected Salvadorian club jerseys. And so <laughs> that was, that's one that really stood out for me. Um, maybe even more because of who the buyer was in the jersey itself. So, so that was a really random one where we couldn't believe where that jersey ended up. And um, one that we have in stock right now that's super random, that I love telling the story, but no one cares. But since we're here, is a team called DPMM from a tiny country called Brunei in Asia. And uh, it's basically a city-state. It's like a nothing of a country. The team is owned by the, the prince of this tiny country. And they actually... Um, played in the Malaysian league, then they moved and now they play in the Singaporean league because they're such a tiny country. They don't, they don't have a league of their own. So that's one that's super random. It still hasn't sold. We'll, we'll see when it moves, but it, and it's a beautiful Jersey too. Yeah. And one thing too, that you have on your website in case our listeners are looking for a new kit uh, and, but maybe don't know where to start or where to begin. You guys have a surprise kit option on your website. Uh, can you tell us about uh, that, that option uh, and those packages? So the, the surprise kit, um, the idea came about because, you know, we have uh, close to 2000 jerseys in our inventory right now. Almost all of them are different from each other. So we realized that, it could feel a little overwhelming to go on our website, you know, and you're clicking through, like you said, over 80 jerseys, I mean, 80 countries and all these jerseys and, and clubs you've never heard of and all that. So we figured, you know, there's probably people out there who, who they want a jersey and they just don't know what to get. So we decided, you know, why, why, uh, why don't we decide for them or help them decide? So, so we added that option. It's uh, right on the left of our website. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be hard to find. And, there's a couple options to, to get one jersey, three jerseys, or five jerseys. And there's also a comment box if you want to leave any instructions. And um, me and Mattel have so much fun uh, building those packages because, you know, we're always um, trying to figure out, should we give them something super obscure? Should we give them something new? Should we give them national teams? Should we give them clubs? And and we always try to find, like, a, a good medium between all those. And, and we have a lot of fun. And, you know, people... People love it too. They always uh, they're always surprised and, and pleased by what they receive. We've never had a complaint, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good sign. Another thing that I wanted to mention, you guys asked like most unique thing in the store, or, or but one thing that we joke and we say, you know what, nature is healing, <laughs> is when uh, we sell a shirt to a hometown. So mm -hmm. we're here, you know, in Miami, Florida in little Haiti, in like this randomest place ever, and I'm getting the opportunity to send a sporting Lisbon shirt back to Lisbon, you know? A Bayern Munich shirt back to Munich, or a Bilbao shirt back to Bilbao. That, that, that fills, fills my heart with joy because it's going back home. <laughs> and it was here in, 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 in Miami, and we saved it. You know, I romanticize it a lot, but that's one of the most gratifying, one of the most gratifying moments as well. 
Yeah, I'd say either that or or when we hear stories about immigrants who haven't had the chance to return back to their home countries, but they still support their home team. You know, like we said, a lot of those teams can be hard to find, and they find a lot of those teams on our website, and, and some of those people tell us their stories about how, you know, it's been 12 years since they've uh, seen them play, and, you know, then here we are, you know, giving them a, a little piece of their childhood back in a way. So that's that's very gratifying, too. We've had a... Um a client bury someone with one of our shirts. Um, You know, it's, it, I mean, I get goosebumps just saying that to you guys, you know, that's how, how powerful can, can, how more powerful can it get? You know, it was a a Deportivo Quito Jersey as well was, was beautiful. Well, I I was going to say, I mean, you kind of talked about it earlier about uniting communities and, you know, sports and soccer is something that brings people together. And you guys aren't just receiving shirts from all over the world, but you're sending them all over the world. I know I mentioned you have uh, merchandise from over 80 countries. I'm sure you have, you know, over 50 countries you have sent them to. I mean, and you guys obviously care about who you're sending it to because you have all these stories uh, of clients of yours and people who have purchased merchandise. So um, that's really amazing. And thank you for sharing that. I, I do want to go back yeah, to this. Oh, go ahead. I've, no, sorry, sorry. I've, I've, I've taken and digged from, from jerseys from my own collection because the client says, hey, do you have XYZ shirt? And I have it. And I, I just feel that it means a lot to the guy. And, I'm, and I, I dig it out of my own collection and I give it to him, you know. And I give away one, a little story of mine is now part of his now. And that's kind of how we, we as collectors that love this kind of <laughs> have, have a little bit of peace with it, no? I was just going to add, going back to the surprise kit, uh, I really like this option because I play a lot of football manager and sometimes I just choose the random team uh, to join. And so I kind of compare that to the surprise kit. So if you have, you have trouble picking a team on football manager, I suggest buying a surprise kit and then just choosing that team, which you get when when your kit arrives. Or or if you like the uh, random button in FIFA. <laughs> but on football manager, you have to start unemployed and then I don't know if you have the money to buy a surprise kit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, thank you guys both for joining us today. It was really great chatting with you. We're really excited to have you as a sponsor. And I know a lot of our listeners uh, are already satisfied customers of your products. If you have not checked out Galasso kits, please do. Uh, Right now, I noticed you guys have a 2020 away kit, New England Revolution away kit in almost brand new condition. Uh, So you guys should check that out before another listener of this podcast uh, grabs that. Uh, You guys have tons of United States men's national team merch, U.S. women's national team merch. Uh, and it goes beyond club and country. There's also merchandise from international tournaments, college level. Uh, and then, as, as you mentioned, you have the surprise kit option as well, which I might be dabbling in at some point down the road. So, John and Mateo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. It, it, was, a, it was a pleasure. Uh, like Mateo mentioned in the beginning, uh, we've already felt the love from, uh, from your listeners. And we hope it keeps coming and we hope we, we can deliver. Thank you so much once again. And uh, we hope to be back on soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you. If you or anyone listening is ever in Miami and want to visit visit the store, grab a beer, talk soccer, we're always there. We're always uh, uh, available. So thank you again for, for having us, and good luck to, to the revolution for the rest of the season. And that was John and Mateo of Galaco Kits. Chris, we're going to wrap up here right now. Do you have any final thoughts uh, after this Dallas game going into Columbus? Yeah, you know, my my main point that I could think of right now is losing this game might also have some sort of uh, silver lining to it where 
the Revolution were bound to lose a game eventually. You're on a five-game winning streak. I think it was a six- or seven-game unbeaten streak. Uh, and now you're dropping points, all points, uh, to a, a beatable FC Dallas team. I know they they were worst in the West, maybe even all of MLS, but I think this team is way better than what their record is showing. Uh, and they showed that tonight on the, on the pitch. They did beat the Revolution, and I think this might be a big wake-up call before a massive game in Columbus on Saturday. Yeah, and, you know, it was really close to seeing the Revs, you know, taking over first place in all of Major League Soccer. That would have been really nice. Um, I do think this is a bit of a wake-up game. I do think this is a game where, you know, if anything, it's going to make the Revs a little bit more focused. Uh, and, I, you know, this team, you know, we, I don't, it is early to say, is this a championship team or whatnot, but this team does still have flaws. And if we learn anything from last year with Bruce Arena, Bruce Arena did make some changes in the secondary transfer window and they really didn't have a lot of room to work with. They went out and they got Mene, uh, they got Lee Wynn, they got Tommy McNamara. They went out and they made changes, and I fully expect some more changes coming uh, with this transfer window opening up here in a few weeks. You know, they, they have more space. They have a lot more allocation money. I know we've talked about this before. They don't have a designated player spot, but it is not out of the realm of possibility that Bruce Arena comes out doesn't wait till the end of the, the transfer window, but he goes out and he makes some improvements now. Because I don't think Bruce Arena, even though we, we talk about Captoom coming back and making a splash or Mafla kind of making a splash, um, I don't know if Bruce wants to wait for those players or expects those players or, you know, who knows what the what impact those players are going to have. Um, you know, Bruce is here to win, and I expect uh, some, some changes to be made to build off of what the refs have done so far. It's still pretty early in the season, but... You know, I, I don't think Bruce Arena is content with just first place in the East. Um, I, I think he knows the mission, and I think we're going to see some changes coming soon. So I have to ask real quick. I know this is final thoughts, but I'm going to add. I'm going to have you elaborate, I guess, a little bit more. Changes coming. I 100% see that happening too. Uh, do you think that there's any opportunity that any players might be sold during this window? You know, I think we are at the max for international roster slots. So unless we're purchasing one for, you know, two and a, a quarter million dollars or whatever it is, that's going to be really hard to come by. There's obviously no designated player spots. I don't know how much available TAM there is. Do you think there's any opportunity that the revolution move on for any players, you know, like a, a possibly a Caicedo, I, it may not be a hard sell right now, but something like that. Uh, what do you see? Yeah, my prediction at the beginning of the season was Luis Caicedo might be someone who is on the way out. His injury has kind of put that into, you know, flat, you know, who, 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 waters, yeah. who knows? I don't know who's taking on Luis Caicedo. Who knows what his um, level is? Boy, let me think. Who do I think could be sold right now? I mean, maybe you see a Boateng. Maybe it's nobody. So. Yeah, maybe you see a Boateng or a De La Garza who's not getting a lot of, a lot of you know, tread right now. Um Maybe maybe someone who's really at the bottom that is kind of moved just for the sake of moving them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. No one, no one is on the top of my tongue here. Is someone that I could see the Revs moving on from? Because if you think of the players last year, they moved on. It was what Zahibo. I think that was it. Did, it, did they trade away anyone else? I, I only remember Zahibo going now. Yeah, I, 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 someone will fact check me if that's wrong, but I remember Zahibo going out, and his role had been diminished more and more over time. So I don't think anyone that is making an impact on the field right now is going to be traded. Um, and no one tying up any resources, any roster resources like international slots or no, um, yeah, designated it'd be players. A, it'd be a salary dump or something like that where, you know, maybe they, they make a trade just to make the money work. But no, I mean, the refs have a lot of, you know, money here to, to make things happen and they could acquire an international roster spot if they needed, um, yep. you know, yeah, maybe, maybe they trade, you know, 
I don't want to say Kizza, but you know, I, I think it's more likely they acquired an international spot if they they needed an international spot. But um, again, though, they didn't need. I don't think they acquired an international player in the window last year. So I, I think Bruce is going to scour MLS and start making some trades. I, I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see some more of last year, but kind of do a bigger extent where we might see a big name impact player come in and maybe shore up that back line or something like that. It's hard to tell at this stage because, you know, it's who, who's selling right now. Who do we know is going to be sellers come the transfer window? We don't totally know yet. I mean, Chicago, Cincinnati, I think Toronto is having a bad season. Where's Toronto mm-hmm. in the standings? You know, down. Uh, oh, they're down there. They're five points. Boy, oof, boy, they're, they're brutal. Um, mm-hmm. Miami, Miami might, might sell because, they you know, have, they got yes. stripped of so much allocation money. They might be trying to build up for the future. Um, so Vancouver, I mean, those are your sellers outside of that. You know, I don't know who else is selling right now because they're all kind of within playoff reach. So it's kind of hard to know, have an idea of what, but I, I expect Bruce to make one or two trades here. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a pretty decently big name come in, uh, at least on the MLS level. I don't expect them to go out and get some big international superstar. Cause unless it's a free transfer or someone coming out of contract, it, it wouldn't be a huge, it would have to be a TAM signing and a transfer fee would kind of screw up that equation. Yeah, I, I agree. And hey, thank you so much for for entertaining that question. You know, I threw it at you last second. You didn't know it was coming. So thanks for rolling with the punches on that. And hey, happy birthday again. Yes, thank you. Happy 26th birthday to me. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely get off this podcast and immediately think of someone too uh, <laughs> that should have been <laughs> traded. So, um, But anyway, thank you again to John and Mateo of Galaco Kits uh, for joining us today. Please go check them out at galacokits.com and use discount code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. Uh, we are off until next week. The Revolution Go open another soccer-specific stadium this season in Columbus. Uh, we'll be back with a new episode next week, recapping that one and hopefully starting a new win streak. Until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.